0: Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. We're getting near to the end of our series in the Book of Luke, but uh, we can continue this morning. I have a, a bit of a, a bit of a problem admitting that I need I need help, and uh, that relates to one of the things when I hurt myself. The last thing I want is somebody to come up to me and say, "Are you okay?" or help you know. So. Uh, in the Hussey family, there's the famous story of when I was preparing dinner one night, Lynette was out, and I, I, I badly cut my finger uh, and sort of was bleeding a bit, so I stuck a Band-Aid on it and called the girls down for dinner. Uh, they saw the Band-Aid and said, oh, Dad, you, you cut your finger, and I said, ah, oh, it's nothing, it's nothing, nothing, don't, don't make a fuss, don't make a fuss. Um, and then Brooke sort of said, but Dad, there's blood on the ceiling. <coughs> And I have to admit that yes, I had cut my finger, and they had to help me. So, um, but uh, yeah, I just don't like so. If you ever see me fall over, don't, I oh, don't make a fuss, all right? Just walk past me. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll get up, and it'll be okay. Uh, uh, and and you might be inclined to think this is a bit like what Jesus is like in this story we we read in in Luke 23. Uh, it's uh, the story as Jesus is is being taken to 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 the cross and. Uh, these, uh, we re- they, these women come to Jesus. Well, let's read it. So, so it's in chapter 23, verses 27 to 30. Well, we 20, read from 26. Chapter 23, verse 26. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way from the, in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, "'Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, "'weep for yourselves and for your children. "'For the time will come when you will say, "'Blessed are the childless women, "'the wombs that never bore "'and the breasts that never nursed. "'Then they will say to the mountains, "'Fall on us and unto the hills, cover us. "'For if people do these things when the tree is green,' What will happen when it, was, when it is dry? And so the, the women are coming in and beating their breast. It, literally, it's, they're beating their breast and wailing as, uh, as Jesus makes his way along the street. And you, you think Jesus might be a bit inclined to accept their sympathy. You know, he's been beaten, he's been mocked, he's been scourged. He's so weak and debilitated, he can barely carry his cross. And and these women are coming to him and crying and wailing for him. And but sometimes they do say, "Oh no, come on, get over it." Like but but Jesus, you know, Jesus, why not let them just sort of minister to you a little bit? Why not accept their sympathy? But instead of accepting their sympathy, Jesus stops and preaches a sermon. And in fact, this is the last sermon that we have Jesus speaks seven words on the cross but this is is the last sermon he preaches and he's he's been silent for for 12 or 18 hours during the the dreadful trial that's gone on so before the Sanhedrin before Herod and then before before Pilate then before Herod and then back before uh, Pilate Jesus has said barely anything but now he stops and it's the strangest place to preach a sermon, isn't it? On, your, on the way to your own crucifixion, you, you're, you're so dehydrated you can hardly speak. Yet Jesus stops and speaks to these women. But in a sense, it is the right place as well, isn't it? It's from that place of extremity, from, of desperation, that, that a sermon perhaps could be preached. And it's the right place because now people will listen. During his trial, Jesus probably knew that anything he said wouldn't have counted. It would have been a waste of words to speak up to defend himself in the Sanhedrin or before Pilate or before Herod. But here, as he walks slowly to his death, he preaches from the prophet Isaiah. And despite the temptation, the temptation that had begun in the garden of Gethsemane to consider himself more important than the task that he had come to earth to do, That on on the road as he walks slowly towards his place of crucifixion again, Satan is still coming at him and tempting him to think that his needs and his safety and comforting and his release is more important than the mission to which he had been called. He once again stops and speaks the word of God. And it's addressed to this group called the Daughters of Jerusalem. Now, there's some debate as to who he's referring to there. It's, it's quite possible that in the, the same way that in the, you know, in the Middle Ages you hear people would, follow, would go to public hangings and public executions sort of out of this grim curiosity. And perhaps there's, there's some in the crowd who are just you know, going along to see a crucifixion on, on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, there's also some of them were perhaps professional mourners so we know in Luke chapter 12 that when the uh, Jairus' daughter died, uh, Jesus arrives and there are people, there are women there wailing, uh, they're paid to, to be mourners at, at, at a funeral. And uh, perhaps there's some of these joining in the procession as well. There's probably some who are genuinely grieving. These, there are followers of Jesus who are watching this terrible, terrible spectacle unfold before their eyes. And they're perhaps they're in this crowd that Jesus stops to address as well. But the, but the, the term daughters of Israel might also have been echoing a, a saying in the book of Isaiah where he refers to the daughters of Zion. And, and he's using that term to refer to the whole of Jerusalem, the, the whole population of Jerusalem. And, and given Jesus is in a public space, see, given that Jesus is surrounded by a crowd, not just of women. Not just the daughters of Jerusalem, but but men and women from every country on earth in the known world, because it was Pentecost. Uh, Jesus' sermon here is not just to the daughters of Jerusalem. This is a sermon for everyone, including us, as we listen to it 2,000 years later. And the first thing he says to them is, Do not weep for me. Uh, In the uh, stations of the cross in the Catholic Church, uh, every Easter, they, they, they have a series of, of uh, statues around their church building and they, they walk around them and each one of them sort of portrays some aspect of the, uh, the trial and the death uh, or the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. And the, the idea is that each of the stations you stop and mourn for what is happening to Jesus. And, and uh, there's even one of the stations is the daughters of Jerusalem mourn for Jesus. But Jesus' message to them would be, don't weep for me. Don't weep for me. He, he's on his mission. He is fulfilling the very purpose that he came to earth to fulfill. And you don't weep for somebody who's reaching, who's reaching towards that, that purpose. And, and, and you don't weep for Jesus because now he's seated in glory. His mission accomplished. He doesn't need our sympathy. He's enjoying the benefits of everything that he came to do. So Jesus says, Don't weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. If you travel to Rome, one of the famous tourist spots is called the Arch of Titus, and it was built about 80 AD. And it celebrates the victories of Titus the, the Emperor. But but key amongst the features are, are pictures or carvings, engravings depicting the defeat of Jerusalem and the sacking of Jerusalem. And you can see up there that there's a candelabra, that the, the, so, there's a picture of the soldiers who've, who've destroyed the temple and are walking out of the temple with the, the loot, the booty that they have, have stolen from Jerusalem. And it's about 70 AD that after a number of years of rebellion in Jerusalem, that the Romans under Titus came to stamp it out. And my goodness, didn't they stamp it out? Uh, The place, the the walls were totally destroyed. The city was totally leveled. Uh, The soldiers, or the the men, the fighters, the Judean fighters who survived were tortured to death. The old men and the women were killed outright. The, uh, uh, The women, you can imagine what happened to the women and the children. And the survivors were then sold into slavery it was just simply the most horrific way that a nation could be totally obliterated from the face of the earth that it was just ground into the dirt the whole civilization and jesus is saying don't weep for me weep for what is going to happen to this city in a few years time this was in fact jesus seventh warning to the people of israel that this this rebellion that they were were festering against Rome was going to end in this absolute disaster, this absolute obliteration of the nation of Israel. And we know, actually, it was a very effective warning. We know that uh, some of the Christians who were living in Jerusalem during the 60s, when they saw the rebellion in Jerusalem continuing to happen, the rebellion against Rome, and they began to hear that the Romans had had enough, they remembered Jesus' words, and they remembered this sermon he preached on the way to the cross, and they fled. A whole lot of Jewish Christians fled out of Jerusalem in just the years just before the, the city was destroyed. And this is one of Jesus' great prophecies that led to the saving, the physical salvation of the, his followers who were living in Jerusalem. He says, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, blessed are the childless women, the women who never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. Jesus talks about timing and he says, "For for the time will come. Uh, we tend to live totally focused in our time. You know What's happening today? What are the struggles we've got in our lives right at this particular moment? But, and, and, and for the people who are watching Jesus' crucifixion or as he, has he's been led to his crucifixion, they think this is it. This is, this is the total thing. This struggle I've got in my life is the, is the, the biggest and single thing in the world ever. But Jesus is encouraging them to lift their eyes to lift their thoughts above their day-to-day, lift their thoughts even about what was happening right at that moment and think about the big picture, the cosmic things. Because the sacking of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 totally overwhelmed what was happening on this particular day, in a physical sense anyway. And then he says, "'For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen?' when it is dry, if the Romans are doing this to me, an innocent man, what are they going to do when they come back to, ride out, to strike down the, the rebellious terrorists in, in, who, are, who will be in, in Jerusalem and who are, who are already in Jerusalem creating disorder and, and trying to overthrow the Romans? If this is what happens to the Prince of Peace, Imagine what's going to happen to the men of violence who are at work in this city and who will be at work in this city. So in that sense, it's a, it's a message very much to Jesus' contemporaries at the time, a sermon to the particular people who were living in Jerusalem at that particular time and, and watching him go to the cross. But like a lot of the prophecies, in the, in, the, in the Bible. So this is a prophecy. This is Jesus saying, you know. so this is about 30 AD. He's saying in, in, a, in, in 30 years, in, in 40 years' time, this is going to happen, and it did. But a lot of the prophecies in the Bible sort of have a, a short-term fulfilment and a long-term fulfilment. And so this message is here in the Scriptures because it is a sign of a greater judgement that is going to come. It's a sign of, of the fulfilment of what the Bible often talks about, of God's judgement against rebelliousness. So the, the destruction of Jerusalem was a sign of God's uh, judgement on the rebellion of Israel. And God's destruction of the world at the time, end of time is God, this is God's judgement against rebellion of all humanity. So we might not be sons and daughters of Jerusalem, but we are the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And just as the daughters and the sons and daughters of Jerusalem were in a rebellion and were judged for that rebellion, as sons and daughters of of Adam and Eve, we too live in rebellion and under the judgment of God. We live in a moral universe. In our hearts, we all know that bad should be punished and good should be rewarded. We all know that. It's, it's deeply buried within us. We live in a moral universe, and that tells us that the promises in the Bible that God will return to judge the world and to put it right are true. And so we need to remember the warnings that Jesus is saying here. He's saying, Don't weep for Jesus, he's in glory. Weep for yourselves. Weep for the sin that you commit and the sin that affects the world and destroys or damages the world in which we live. Lament for sin, not for what happens on Good Friday. And as so often in, in the Gospels, this principle is illustrated by what happens in the story. So if you, you go down a little bit further in uh, chapter 23, verse 39... Um, Jesus is is crucified with two criminals, one on either side of him. And And in chapter 23, verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there with Jesus hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him and said, don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man Has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. One mocks, one continues to live in rebellion against God and presumably receives the punishment that is due to him. But the other thief laments. The other man expresses sorrow for his sin at this, this moment of judgment, this sign of the judgment that is, is coming as Jesus hangs on the cross and takes on our sins. Uh, one mocks, one laments, and he, re- he, ends, he goes to paradise. And so the question as we, we think about the significance of this story, of this prophecy for us today is, What are we weeping for? Uh, Certainly, I think as we look at what happened to Jesus and and his innocence and his goodness and the injustice he's faced, we should weep tears. But Jesus would say, weep also for your own sinfulness. Weep for the sinfulness of the world, not just because of the damage it does, but because of the judgment that is going to come when the world is put right. Don't just weep for Jesus. Lament for our own sins and shortcomings. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you suffered for us, that you took our place and, and went to the cross and paid the price for, for our sinfulness and our evil. And Lord, we pray that uh, as we reflect upon this story and this, you know, the, the injustice and the, the brutality and the criminality that uh, is being demonstrated, that, yeah, that might move us to tears. But you would, have, you would say to us, but remember, uh, that's only a, a small thing compared to uh, the, the consequences of, of, our, of our sinfulness. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to lament, not just that you went to the cross for us, but to lament for the sin in our lives that meant you had to go. So we commit ourselves to you in this, in Jesus' name.